0: What is good, everybody? Welcome to the episode talking about Romans 16. We're, dude, we're there. We are, I can taste the end of our study through Romans, and it tastes bittersweet, but I'm excited. And the reason why it's sweet is because we get to hop into Genesis 1, 2, and 3 next, which is going to be a blast. And going to challenge us it's going to challenge our traditional understanding and interpretation of genesis but most importantly it's going to cause us to respect the culture and the people that authored and brought these texts to us and that's ultimately going to be the the most important thing that we do that we honor how god spoke through his ancient people I'm so excited for that but it's also bitter because Romans has been great been learning so much through Romans and I hope y'all have too every episode that we do trust me I'm learning something every single episode with y'all and I'm just glad that y'all have joined me on this journey but we're hopping into Romans 16 and unfortunately we're only getting through two verses. (laughs) Um, I was planning on going through like the first 13 because it mentions a lot of different people and that's all cool but this episode as I was going through unintentionally turned into a study of Phoebe which is the woman that we meet in the very first verse and you know I'd argue that Phoebe is worthy of talking about mostly because she is the one that is delivering Paul's letter to the Roman churches. And along with delivering that letter, some other things are possibly involved. And so I want to hop in to that because this really really will open our eyes to the culture and some of the the behind-the-scenes action that would have been taking place. And we're going going to be reading through the first two verses, just like we always do. Then we're going to break it down and see what there is to know. Paul says this in Romans 16, verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Cenchrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. All right, so let's break this down. I want to focus on verse 1 here for a little bit. Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Cenchrea. So for those who don't immerse themselves in the countless debates about the Bible and Paul's letters and theology and the meaning of certain words and how that affects how we go throughout our everyday lives. <laughs> uh, Phoebe has been a topic of discussion and debate for quite some time. Mostly the reason why is because of her role in the church of Synchrea, her role as a servant or Other translations will have deacon or deaconess in that church. And depending on where you fall on that debate, you can have a completely different understanding of women's role in ministry. And this is a hot topic for many people, and as it should be. Uh, Certain sides take the idea that women should not be allowed to teach or have authority. Other sides say that women can teach and have authority in the church and often one case study that people come to is phoebe because she's described as being a servant or deaconess at the church of syncreate and people debate and look at all the historical evidence to try and figure out well what did a deacon do at that time within the church and does that imply certain things but there's a lot of discussion and debate (laughs) surrounding this one woman who has her her time in the sun for literally one verse. <laughs> and we could spend a whole episode debating all these multiple views, but this is one of those topics that doesn't seem to have a concrete answer. And honestly, I don't really think the conclusion is that important to our understanding of scripture and our understanding of how things are supposed to work within the church of Christ. Um, there are, however, some clues that can lead to some answers regarding Phoebe and her importance to Paul's ministry to the Roman people. The first thing that we could point out is that it says that Paul commends Phoebe. He commends her. And this word in Greek has various uses throughout the Bible, but at its core, it means to stand with or approve someone. And along with this, he also refers to Phoebe as their sister invoking the familial bond within the body of Christ. And this is one that Paul talks about throughout many of the letters that he wrote in the New Testament. But as we looked at a few months ago in Romans chapter eight, verse 15 through 17, he says, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And so Paul in Romans eight is invoking this idea that. If we are a child of God and we're adopted into the family, then we're all God's children. We're all a part of the same family. And so right off the bat, Paul is letting the Roman churches know that Phoebe is someone who can be trusted. She is someone that has upstanding character. and She's someone who follows Christ. She's someone who is family. That's the core of what Paul is saying. And we've already gotten a good look at Paul's character throughout this letter. And by this time, uh, people would have known who Paul was and the great things that he has done for Jesus Christ. And so if Paul is willing to stand and approve with anybody, that is a huge, huge referral, as you will, on their resume. That's very, very important. And that holds a lot of weight another important thing to note is that phoebe's a woman and this subtle detail may not really mean much to us today because we live in a culture where women are completely equal they they can be educated like us they can work jobs like men they they can do all of these things and that is amazing but for the culture that paul was in for paul to work alongside and entrust a woman to deliver such an important letter to the Roman churches, that definitely wouldn't have been the common cultural thing to do for his time. This was this was very, very bold and loving and courageous of Paul to willfully and fully participate and work with men and women to accomplish the the goal of Jesus Christ. And for those of you who don't know, the reason why this is so huge and and so important is that, for one reason, in ancient times, women were not seen as intellectual equals, amongst other things. And this is actually an important fact uh, when we look at the Gospel of Counts and who it was that gave the first testimony that they saw Jesus alive after he was crucified and placed in the tomb. If we look at uh, someone from that time, like Josephus, who is an ancient Jewish historian he says this regarding a woman's legal testimony he says quote but let not a single witness be credited but three or two at the least and those such whose testimony is confirmed by their good lives but let not the testimony of women be admitted on account of the levity and boldness of their sex so this is just one point of view but it's clear that even at this time But the view of women's intelligence, trustworthiness, testimony was not thought to be at the same standard of a man's. They were not thought to be equals in the intellectual sense and even in the sense of being trustworthy. Their testimony within a court of law was not seen as equal. And oftentimes, if there was a man that was testifying against a woman and they had conflicting testimonies, the man's would be the one that was accepted just off the basis that he was a man and I want to make clear for for those who may not know that although that this was a practice within some of the Jewish courts at the time, this is not anything that is taught in the Bible; not a single word is said in the Bible regarding women being unable to testify or being uh, inferior to men as far as intellect goes or anything like that. But this was something that the people being sinful, just like we are, they unfortunately came up with this idea and, and this is how a lot of the culture went at this time. So with this in mind, when we look at something like the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the accounts and the testimony that are captured in the gospels, it strikes us odd, or at least to the ancient people, it would have struck them odd that it is women who are not only the first to see the risen Jesus, but they're the first to give their testimony. And on top of that, the authors of the gospels included the women's testimony as the first. They didn't fabricate or anything like that. And the argument goes that if the gospel accounts were fake, or if they are fabricated or if they tried to lie to make this more believable so they could gain some sort of political or religious leverage over anybody else the question is why would they have women be their first witness if they knew in their culture that the testimony of women was seen to be impermissible and inferior in comparison to a man's that is a very strong point for the truth of the gospels that the gospel writers include the testimony of women in a time where that would have been outright rejected simply because it was women giving that testimony. And all of this ties back into the importance of Paul commending Phoebe. Paul is choosing to partner with not only men, but with women. And he is working alongside men and women, Jew and Gentile, and freed and slaves. And he's doing all of this to achieve the fullness of the gospel and one of the ways that he works alongside phoebe is by having phoebe deliver his letter to the roman churches and most likely phoebe played some sort of authoritative role in its interpretation to the roman churches she would have been well equipped to be able to do this because as we know phoebe lived in syncrea she was a servant or a deacon at the church in Syncreate. And Syncreate is a port town near the city of Corinth. And Corinth, as many scholars will tell you, Corinth was where Paul was staying when he wrote the letter to these Roman churches. And clearly they're working together. Paul's not going to entrust this letter to some stranger or somebody that he met just a week ago. Paul knows and understands what Phoebe is capable of. He understands the work that she has done. And they, they would have had to have been working alongside each other. And so while Phoebe is working alongside Paul, while he was in Corinth, she would have been the perfect candidate to not only deliver his letter, but be one who has a good understanding of what Paul is trying to convey through this letter. Because there are some confusing things. <laughs> I mean, if you've been following along with these episodes, or if you've read through Romans by yourself, you understand there's a lot of confusing things. In the letter to the Roman people. And so Paul would have definitely understood that there's going to need to be somebody there who understands exactly what Paul is trying to get at and what he's trying to say and what he's not trying to say. Because you're going to be having a group of Jews and Gentiles who are all different in their full understanding of the Torah. They're different in their understanding of how religion works. They're different in, in all different walks of life. And they're going to be trying to approach what they hear Paul's letter saying in many different ways. So Paul would have had to have someone there who can say, no, 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 this is what Paul meant. Oh, this is, this is confusing. Let me give you some insight because this is what Paul was telling me when he wrote the letter. And this is really important to understand when we're looking at Phoebe's role in the giving of the letter to the Roman people. So, for instance, before studying for this episode, I was hard set on Phoebe being the person to actually not only deliver the letter but to also read the letter aloud to the churches because one common uh theme throughout all of scripture the old testament into the new is that scripture was a communal thing it was read aloud many people were illiterate at this time and so the the scripture the new testament letters all of this would have been read aloud and in one sitting with the whole people there so they can all hear the letter and so i always um i was hard set on phoebe being the person to actually read aloud the whole letter to the churches and this could still very well be the case and if i had if i had to die on a hill i would die on the hill that phoebe was the one that read the letter because there are many many ancient examples of letter carriers also being the ones to read and present the letter it would it would kind of be silly to be the one to deliver the letter to a group of people who don't know what's in the letter or don't understand the letter And then just have somebody random read the letter. But, however, there there are some arguments that point against the claim that Phoebe would have been the orator of the letter. But no matter the case, there seems to be a solid middle ground that makes sense of both claims with their respective evidence and Ian Paul makes this case he says quote, it remains the case that Phoebe was known to Paul had a role of church leadership and was entrusted by Paul with a key letter on which the next phase of his ministry depended the phrasing of Romans 16 1 through 3 makes it clear that she fulfilled the usual role of a letter carrier and as such she would have had an important role in answering questions and ensuring that the letter was understood correctly so a better phrase instead of Phoebe being the one to read the letter aloud, might be that Phoebe was the authoritative interpreter. So wherever you may fall on this debate, if you've been keeping up with the literature on this, um, or if this is something new to you and you really have never heard this before, at the very least, it seems that we can conclude that Phoebe, having knowledge of Paul's letter beforehand from Paul himself, would have been of great use in the sense that she was able to clear up false understandings and offer proper interpretation and answer questions that the Roman people would have. And this would have been crucial, like I pointed out, because these letters would have been read aloud. And this is the awesome thing about scripture that I kind of wish we still had today you really don't see many people doing it unless they're in like a church service. But we have to remember that scripture was read out loud, like all the time, even when people were alone. Uh, When we look at something like the book of Joshua, when God is letting Joshua know that, hey, Moses is gone and I'm going to have you step up. God gives him some guidelines that Joshua can go through to make sure he is living for God and leading the people correctly. And one thing that God said is that the Torah needs to be on his heart and he needs to meditate on the law day and night. And that Hebrew word for meditate is the word for whisper. They, they would actually whisper out loud the scripture while they're reading it, that it really wasn't a thing for them to just read quietly. They would always have it on their mouth, they would always have it on their lips. It's a really beautiful thing. To think about, but the supplies that were needed to produce the scrolls and the letters—they weren't cheap. So, for most ancient people, oh, also they didn't have printing presses where you could make a thousand copies to give to every single every single person. So, for ancient people, they consumed these letters from Paul by hearing it, not by all of them having their own copy, reading it during their quiet time. And Brian J. Wright says this, and he has a great book called Communal Reading in the Time of Jesus. If you want to learn more about how scripture was read communally, out loud, within a group of people, this book is absolutely awesome. He says this, quote, there is no doubt that Paul's letter to the Romans was written to multiple Christian communities in Rome. He points out chapter 1, verse 7, to all God's Beloved in Rome, who are called to be saints. Whether they be Jew, Gentile, or both, in fact, at the close of the letter, Paul instructs the church in Rome to greet numerous individuals, house churches, and families. While there are probably many reasons why Paul did this, Douglas Moo mentions one in particular that specifically pertains to our study. He says, A public recognition. The requests for greetings were probably read aloud to the assembled church. Of those Christians in Rome who Paul already knows would encourage them to think favorably of him and remind the church as a whole of the number of supporters he already has. This implies a significant Christian network just in Rome that would probably have the opportunity and obligation to read Paul's letter communally. So with all of this knowledge, it seems very, very likely that Phoebe, at the very least she she may have been at most reading the letter out loud, and I'm convinced that that's probably the case. There's a lot of good scholarship that would say that's the case, but at the very least if if you don't want to go that far, she would have had some sort of authoritative interpretation in the ability to answer questions because of the time that she worked with Paul when he was in Corinth. Another thing about Phoebe is we're told that she is a servant. And now this one's interesting. This one is a a very, very big topic of debate and discussion. Because the word for servant here comes from the Greek word diakone, which is the same word for the church role of a deacon. It's used in many other passages to speak about being a deacon. In the term deacon, comes to surface noticeably in the pastoral letters where we have a list of qualifications for deacons in first timothy chapter 3 verses 8 through 13 and it's interesting that paul connects phoebe's being a deacon with the church of syncreate and this seems then to mean that she has the more official role of being a deacon in that church which means she is marked by christian character and as gifts of leadership And the question that many people have surrounding Phoebe being a deacon is what extent was her role? To what extent was her role? And like I pointed out before, this is up for debate and there's really no rock solid answer. There's really no solid hill that anybody would probably want to die on. Some groups believe that deacons were merely servants that did just kind of small tasks throughout the church and others believe that deacons Help in a more important leadership role within the church. In either way, it is very clear that Phoebe served the Christian church in some capacity, which inevitably bolsters her credibility in the eyes of these Roman churches. When Paul's introducing her as not just someone he commends, as not just a sister, but someone who, on some level, serves in the church, that continues to boost her credibility. On to verse two, he says that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. So Paul asked the Roman churches to welcome Phoebe and to help her in whatever she may need. Now, at least for me, when I when I read this being a modern Western person, uh, th- this sentiment of Oh, welcome her, help her with whatever she needs. It it seems like some fluffy talk to make her feel welcome, but that is not like really fully absolutely expected of the Roman people. I don't know if that makes sense. Like, so when you hear a person say, Oh, we'll do whatever you need. Whatever you need, it, it's kind of assumed that there's a limit on that. <laughs> that whatever you need is is a way of extending niceties to a person but often the person doesn't really expect that you will literally help them with whatever they need like they expect like oh you you may give me a bed to stay in and may supply me with some food but if i need something more strenuous they're not really expecting that to fall under the category of whatever you need i hope that makes sense because in this instance that's not the case Paul fully, 100% expects the Roman churches to help Phoebe with literally whatever she may need. Whatever. And the question is why? Well, Paul tells us, and, and typically we may just look over this, but Paul mentions that she has been a patron to him. Phoebe is Paul's patron, along with being the patron of many others. And and with her being a patron, it's being implied that she is a woman of means. My, gr- my girl Phoebe got stacks. She got cash, baby. We, we 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 can't just leave this here, though, because Paul isn't saying that, oh, Phoebe's rich. And so because I want her to give to the churches, you guys need to suck up to her and do whatever she wants. That is not what Paul is saying. He's not advocating for some weird favoritism or anything like that because she's rich. Paul is observing the tradition of patron-client relationships. And this, is, this completely bolsters the meaning of why Paul is doing what he's doing. And it makes perfect sense when we understand this. Because patronage was common in the ancient world and even in some cultures today. And to, to prove this, let's look at a few excerpts from the book misreading scripture with individualist eyes and this will help us understand a little bit more what the whole patron client relationship thing was and why this is so important for what we're seeing today they say this quote ancient mediterranean people didn't view themselves as individuals who would get through life on their own they were part of collective groups as such they thought in terms of the collective group getting through life together communities got through life by everyone being mutually dependent on one another family friends neighbors and even trade associates understood themselves to be a part of collective groups who were to mutually support one another now if you've been listening to the podcast for a little bit you you may be recognizing that they're talking about a collectivist culture opposed to an individualist culture that modern western people live in today and that system of collective culture works great when everyone is equal in status wealth and honor because as they pointed out they're all able to equally give and take amongst each other to help them get through life together but what happens when there is a problem that requires some more money status influence and honor than what the people in your immediate collective group are able to give to you and help you out with? Well, they say this, quote, Scholars use the term patronage or patron-client relationships to talk about reciprocal relationships between unequal parties, not unequal in humanity, but social and status wealth. They term the greater party in the relationship the patron and the weaker party the client. Patron-client relationships are just that relationships. They are joined by the glue of reciprocity, just like all the other relationships, but the relationship is socially or economically lopsided. Now, I normally don't do this, but I actually want to read an illustration that they give from their book that helps us understand this patron-client relationship and why it's so important. If you ever get the book, it's on page 70. They say this, Let's suppose there is a wealthy man in Philippi named Diocles. His family made its fortune a few generations earlier in the gold mines near the city. He owns a number of estates in Macedonia. A few insolent city blocks away, a man named Belen owns a family bakery. His father and his grandfather before him baked barley loaves and sacrificial cakes to sell. Bakers worshipped Fornax, the goddess of ovens. One day, Belen must have angered the goddess or... So he reasons, because his bakery catches fire and is destroyed. Although there are a few banks in Philippi, no bank will loan monies to a cursed banker. And how would he repay the loan anyway? Like many in the ancient world, he barely provides for his family as it is. His only hope is a relationship. So Belen goes to visit Diocles. That morning, as every morning, Diocles' friends line up at the patron's door. Each meets... To see whether Diocles needs anything done that day, to make any requests for help, and to receive any ben- benefits he wishes to give. These quote-unquote friends all have an established relationship with Diocles as their patron. Bellin joins the end of the line. He explains his problem and asks for help rebuilding his bakery. Diocles is not required, either socially or morally, to help Bellin, But he is able and decides to help. Patronage is a virtue, stress for the wealthy. So Diocles gives the baker the resources to rebuild the bakery. He might provide funds. He might ask another one of his quote-unquote friends, who was a builder, to assist Bellin, and another quote-unquote friend to provide new wood and thatch. Likely, Diocles will offer a mix of help drawn from his social network. Bellin obviously did not earn this gift and will not be able to pay it back, but he will be expected to reciprocate. Diocles has invested in Belen's life, and so Belen will want to invest in Diocles' life. He will do this by showing gratitude to Diocles. Belen's gratitude is more than words. Belen will be loyal to Diocles. From now on, he bakes bread for Diocles' family and all the people who work in Diocles' extended circle. He does it because he wants to participate in Diocles' life. He is grateful. Likewise, Diocles will ensure that Bellin receives a fair price for his bread and all the customers Bellin can handle. From now on, Bellin will show up every morning at Diocles' house with all of Diocles' quote-unquote friends to ask whether he needs anything and to ask for help. So with that illustration in mind, the proper way that the client could show gratitude to his patron would be as such. They say this, in quote, Clients reciprocated to their patron, not with like gifts because they couldn't do so, but with gifts of a different kind, including gratitude. By gratitude, ancients didn't just mean a warm, fuzzy feeling inside. They meant expressions of gratitude, things such as honoring the patron, obeying them, and giving them loyalty. Given the importance ancients placed on recipients having gratitude for gifts and services, it follows, therefore, that the greatest wrong that clients could commit was to be ungrateful to their patrons. So knowing all of this about the cultural patron-client relationship, this, this sheds so much light on Paul's insistence that the Roman churches help Phoebe in any way and we don't know exactly how phoebe was a patron to paul it could be assumed that she financially supported him while he's traveling and doing all of his ministry work she could have given him a place to stay or she could have connected him to the right people to help with his mission for the gospel but whatever it is she's his patron and paul is showing real gratitude by taking action in making sure that his patron will be properly cared for on her trip Delivering his letter, and this patron-client relationship has profound implications when it comes to the gospel and our relationship to Christ. Multiple times throughout the Gospels, Christ is portrayed as our patron, and so is God. And one of those instances is in Luke twenty-two. This is the Passover scene, verses seventeen through twenty-two, and this is really interesting. Let's let's just read through this. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. So here, it's so subtle, but when you understand patron-client relationships, it's so clear. Jesus is being portrayed as the patron. The patron who is providing something that will solve our unsolvable problem. He is providing his body. He's providing his blood. He's providing his life. He is the generous patron that all of us have to run to because we all have a problem. And this problem, no other person is able to solve. No other person has the resources, the status, or the honor to fix it. And that problem is sin that leads to death and separation from our Creator. But Jesus, the King, the worthy patron above all others. He is being deemed our patron and we are being deemed his clients. We're expected to reciprocate his gracious gifts in the only way possible that we can. And that is by our gratitude. And as we just learned, gratitude is not this warm, fuzzy feeling of being thankful. That is a good thing. And there's a time and a place for that. But the gratitude that is expected of a client who was given something by a patron that saved their life is a gratitude that is fulfilled by actions, a gratitude that is fulfilled by submission, by obedience and loyalty to Christ.